0: The Platforming Our Artists podcast series is supported by Torch as part of the Humanities Cultural Program. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for our second episode of our podcast. And we're really excited to welcome Azan Ahmed here today, who's one of the spoken word artists on Medea. Thank you, Azan, for coming. How are you?
1: Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me. How are you?
0: Not doing badly at all. We're going to have, hopefully, a very interesting discussion today about you, your work, 2020 and what the hell that has entailed. Um, yeah. But yeah. let me just introduce... Uh, you to our um, listeners so Azan studied English and Drama at the Royal Holloway and then trained as part of the Media Young Company in the 2019 Young Company and then has worked sort of across many different theatrical productions you did Conspiracy at the Underbelly in Edinburgh which then transferred to the new Diorama Festival um, so you're a wonderful actor but you, we've also obviously got your incredible poetry involved with our production you're an incredible spoken word poet and so you've Got quite the credentials there, semi-finalist on the BBC World's First Spoken Word Scheme, and just very recently, a month ago, finalist of the 2020 Roundhouse Poetry Slam. You're preparing for a national theatre show next year, and you also currently sit, um, something that I'm sure we'll talk about um, at length, on the Almeida's Youth Advisory Board. Um, After leaving the young company, you talked to the Almeida and about diversity and about many of the things, obviously, we, we discuss and represent here at Comedian. So it's so great to have you on. And thank you again so much for joining us. No, thank you. Well, it's weird having all that <laughs> stuff listed right out. You. Well, we but met as no. to sort of a quick Medea intro. We met through Fran, obviously, who has just had a podcast, should go listen to that one if you haven't. Um, and yeah, you're going to be doing a sort of spoken word in the middle of our, of our show. I mean, Medea. Bit of an, a bit yeah. of a row project. We sort of approached you with what now three months ago.
1: Yeah, no, uh, yeah, Fran is is amazing, and definitely check out that episode because <laughs> she has, um, yeah, she's just an amazing artist and person. Yeah, um, yeah, and here here we are, three months in.
0: I'm excited, man. We've it's not uh, met obviously 2020. No, We've not met each person. other in person, but um, let's talk about that. Obviously, lockdown, lockdown now for 3.0 in tier four. How, how has lockdown been for you? I mean, obviously no one wants to talk too much about the coronavirus, but being an artistic, hopefully an interesting artistic space for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it depends which lockdown you're talking about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think, you know, in the initial one, artistic sense for sure, but what was really interesting for me, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate in the sense of self-development. Um, I sort of, I had a phone call from one of my best friends that like early lockdown, And he was, he said to me, you know, you need to spend some time doing stuff that has nothing to do with acting because I, you know, I graduated in 2018 and it's not that long ago and I'm super young still, but it's just been kind of nonstop mentally. Um, Yeah. And the last couple of years have been really, really hectic. So to have that space to actually not do anything and discover and rediscover myself without sounding super, Sort of wanky about it. It's been really, really nice. Uh, what I got up to, I started started doing meditation, which is great. Like I was always super skeptical about it because I don't know wellness culture. It's got that big fat W in yeah. front of it, which can be wellness or or whiteness. Um, <laughs> so I was, yeah. Um, but it's given me a lot of space. It's been lovely, and it's been a really nice journey to sort of get
0: back into the creative stuff because obviously you've had the poetry slam so you've obviously had time to write obviously you're writing for us right now hopefully it's been a creative space not just acting wise but poetry wise for you as well poetry wise it's been amazing i've done i
1: think this is the most time i've spent writing Uh, i was really lucky to do the words first scheme with the bbc over summer um, and it was like online workshops and it really you know challenged my craft and got me thinking about writing in different ways which
0: then helped me get to the roundhouse which is which was amazing yeah and we're going to talk about the piece that you did at the roundhouse uh later on today i'm um, talking about lockdown obviously we've had the coronavirus this year but the other thing that's been going on that hopefully everyone is still thinking about is this massive race reckoning that we've had and it seems impossible to talk about 2020 without talking about that either i mean how have you found that obviously yeah. as, a, as a person of color as we tell our audience you know you're a pakistani you spent four years studying in qatar so you've had sort of a more international outlook you're Muslim um, your work as, you know, we'll discover is, is very to do with your identity. I mean, how has that felt for you um, this year? And what have you been thinking or more importantly, feeling about what's been going on around us? It's, uh, it's
1: a strange one, isn't it? You know, because I'm, I'm an optimist, right? And it feels like with things like social media, which can be a, a blessing and a curse, that a lot more people's lenses have been widened. To these things, especially with you know the G- George Floyd's murder um, and the whole the resurgence of the BLM movement, it feels like more people are aware of that now, and that's a great a necessary thing. But what's more important to me is seeing how many of those people keep paying attention to it and keep doing the work themselves. We've all got work to do, you know. And it was I felt a bit conflicted, you know. I'm not gonna lie, like seeing it. Seeing it put up on everyone's stories and stuff was, was great. But then I felt the sense of, you know, people like me, you, Fran, you know, our network, our generation of, of artists of color, people of color have been talking about these things. And we're not the first, there's generations before us. So how do we keep this momentum going? And it's not all on us. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a mix, you know,
0: it's it's a real mix. Obviously, we're in a in a sort of different position. We're both sort of South South Asians, Indian subcontinent. Obviously, Pakistan and India. Being a a, a unique positioning, I think, because there's been an incredibly necessary focus on on what it means to be to be a person of colour, but obviously, very specifically, the the real struggle that it can can mean to have a black body. And we come from a culture that struggles with racism obviously not as much and also has our own racism to deal with when it comes to other um other any other people of color i mean we're i'm from india you're from pakistan there's a whole different story Mm -hmm. there i mean there's a wonderful line in one of your poems duets between minarets and mandirs we see constant fighting between um, the nationalist leader of india and hinduism versus islam there are so many really nuanced conversations i don't know what you have to say about, I mean, the long list of things I just gave you that have, that have been food for thought over the last six months. Yeah, I mean, you know, w- within the South Asian culture,
1: there's, it's rife with anti-blackness and, and, you know, rampant colorism, which goes throughout, and it's something we have to really address. And that was something I was glad to see come up amongst the conversations that started over summer, was that, you know, yes, uh, middle class white liberals living in Hampstead have work to do but we also have work to do absolutely um yeah man it is i don't know how do you feel as, as a south asian
0: person going through all of this i think it's both i think that i have a a feeling that our community doesn't take this as serious as it should not only for its own as you say colorism which is huge i mean india is one of the biggest buyers of sort of you know whitening products globally yeah but also our relation to, to, to uh, black bodies, the fact that my parents, as, as many Indian immigrants did, grew up in Africa. So they have a very, my, my family hasn't lived in India for over a hundred years. There's this really strange sense of diaspora that goes in my family from Madagascar to Malawi to Kenya to eventually ending up in, 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 in England. And so it's such a bizarre story that I think is so unique. But on the flip side, we don't see that much and I'm sure you agree with me here, don't see that much South Asian representation. I can take the example of London Fashion Week just in February where you know, I was working and there were maybe one or two brown models. There are really a diverse set of models, but there seems to be a blind spot still for what is you know, one and a half billion, billion people. Um, yeah. And your work obviously directly addresses that in a very interesting way. But what do you have to say as a, as a sort of South Asian, sorry, particularly in about our representation in this whole larger narrative? I think oh, there's, there's two things and, that I'd like to pick
1: apart from this. And it's like the first one is with, with this, some of the anti blackness and colorism that we have right within the South Asian culture. Mm. I was thinking about, you know, what, why is that a thing, you know? And it's to do with this whole history of, of empire. Yeah, for sure. Right. And this idea that white, whiteness, yeah, whiteness is close to civilized living and godliness and whatever whatever so whatever's darker is you know and that's just so uh, i don't know if i'm allowed to swear but it's just so messed up <laughs> um and, and the thing that it always points back to empire is which is what i'm finding yeah um, it's something that i want to maybe try and push against but you know it is it's mad and in terms of representation can I ask you, and then I'll answer as well, and I'll go into it, but do you consider yourself English?
0: A very good question. I think that I I, I studied English literature. I have <laughs> grown up in London. I am I am English. I speak English as my first language. But on the flip side, you know, my mum very much, consi- my mum didn't grow up here. She spent her first 18 years in Malawi and considers herself Malawian. My dad spent a few years in Kenya, so he more considers himself Indian I, I feel like especially with these South Indians who've moved uh, South Asians sorry, who've moved across so many different places there's a reluctance to call myself English but a sort of necessary fact that I am but equally I don't know whether to call myself Indian because a n- hundred years has passed since any of my close family in any way have lived in India and I'm not you know does that make me sort of half Malawi I mean it's so confusing this sense of diaspora yeah. has been so separated from any sense of origin in in, just in my opinion that I find it very hard to call myself sort of anything it's it's a great thing in some ways I love being able to draw from so many different things but the reluctance to call myself English the reluctance to call myself Indian the reluctance to call myself Malawian or my grandmother spent 20 years in Madagascar does that give me something there I I Mm. just don't know I think it's the best answer to the question I mean please yeah you answer no that's really honest
1: man appreciate that and That's the thing when it comes to representation, which we'll chat a bit about in a sec. Your family story is so layered and there's so much going on there. You're not just Indian, right? Yeah. But that's how we're seen in the larger picture. But I asked that question because I was doing a a workshop for a play last week and it's about, you know, an intergenerational story about um, a brown family. That's all I can kind of say living in, in Britain. And the director asked that question to us, mm-hmm. uh, people in the room being me, myself, I'm third generation British Pakistani. And there were some people there who were old enough to be my dad and my mom, um, also, you know, British Asian. And it's super interesting because the older generation, those actors were saying, yes, we are English. Like, cause we've not been anything else but English. Even yeah. if you go back to empire, those 200 years, Everything was shaped by the English, how we, how we, we, we more, we've morphed ourselves into that, and that was his response, and there's a duality there of like the historical historical accuracy, but also that sort of when he was growing up in in Britain, it was very different, and there was that sort of desire to fit in, to be seen as English, not a good his, immigrant yeah, exactly yeah yeah. Whereas you come to me and I'm like, nah, (laughs) you know, it's, I I reject the word English because that, for me, reminds me of that, what is it, St. George's? Is that the cross? The the red cross. Yeah, yeah. That has connotations to that. And that reminds me of like NF skinheads and that sort of Englishness that I don't know. What I would say is British Pakistani. Right, okay. British for me encapsulates, you know, what I see when I go down the high road. People from everywhere, and we all are united by this commonality of Britishness. Yeah, yeah. Of the the queuing up, the the politeness, the whatever, whatever. But then I have to mention the Pakistani because because that's a big part of me. And I get the argument of like, yeah, but we're just British. Cool, I get that. But that doesn't mean I have to erase, I have to delete the Pakistani from when I say it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. And I think you've got a sort of further complication. I don't know what word to use there, but you're also Muslim and that comes with its own whole set of different stereotypes and different prejudices. I don't know if you want to talk talk a bit about that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I feel, yeah, man. I mean, someone asked me once a few years ago, like, oh, if you could go back to any time, period in the world like where would you when would you, when would you go brother and the first thing that kind of came up to my head was just like maybe the 90s or just any time pre-9-11 because right. I, I was four when 9-11 happened uh, and i really i've not really lived in a world where muslims haven't been public enemy number one in the tabloids and stuff there's a brilliant brilliant uh photography book by a friend of mine, Mahdab Hussein, uh, called You Get Me, where he sort of, I think over eight years, might be longer, he photographed working class British Muslim men, um, different ones, and has their quotes along with the pictures in this book. And on the back of the book, it's just riddled with um, headlines, you know, and to see how much it's affected Muslims, British Muslims. I think that's why you know, I, I feel like compelled to include the Pakistani side within that sentence because it's like, you know, I know that I'm Muslim, right? You know, I'm Muslim. And like, what am I trying to say? In, in Britain today, there is that big othering of Muslims. So we can always, we can try and be British, but if we're Muslim, you know, that's something you're going to know. You know the prime ministers talked about it letter boxes all that sort of stuff so i'm not going to shut up about that too you know if you're going to say this thing about muslims then me telling you i'm a muslim and pakistani by me saying that i'm showing you what else a muslim can be
0: it's, if that makes sense it does make sense and obviously i can as when we get on to your work i mean it's obviously very clear that that you you, I mean, your name is, is the name of the Muslim call to Prayer. I mean, it's sort of hard to, hard to avoid. Yeah. Um, but how do you think that, going sort of more to the theatrical world, how do you think that affects your work, your writing, both as an actor, obviously, and a writer, and your identity, how does that play into to the roles you get, the roles you work on, how you try to position yourself within this, hopefully, changing industry?
1: Yeah, it is... Um, it's, it's, I've been really lucky. I've been really lucky since I sort of stepped into the industry professionally. I have a great relationship with my agent um, and I've not been sent any terrorist roles, right. partly because we have that understanding, but also the industry is shifting away from that. It's still there, but you know I don't want to be a part of it. Um, and my agent knows that. And you know I, what I really love is when I go into an audition, there's two things I really love. When I go, when I get sent a script that, that honours and acknowledges the rich culture that we have as South Asians, mm. and then the other time is when I go into an audition room or a waiting room and I see guys of all different colours and creeds going for the same part, and that has happened a few times, uh, less than I would have liked, but something like that really is like, oh, okay, cool, like the playing field is being sort of level.
0: Talking of theatre and this potential change, and production companies like our own, and so many like you know, Good Chance and Talawa and Tamasha and Taraz, there are great, great companies that are doing this work. Do you think, I mean, we've seen these last five months, you, you sit on the board of an extremely influential theatre. Do you think the industry is changing? I mean, what do you think is happening? What do you think should happen? I mean, talk for a little bit about what is going on in theatre, particularly, obviously, there's a much bigger narrative socially, but just in, in the theatre and in the industry, obviously, that we're working in right now? I think, you know, I can only speak from my perspective and being,
1: so yeah, I, I sit on the Almeida Youth Board um, and it seemed when, when all the theatres put out their statements and whatever, it was nice to see at this point, everything feels performative. right? And I know, I know it's been halted because of COVID and everything but when things start starting up again, then we'll see who's really doing the work. And from, from a youth board perspective, it's been really enlightening because it's one thing, you know, us young people always talking about change and really being, you know, loud with it and then actually doing the work. So mm. I've, I've loved being on the board and sort of learning the the logistics behind stuff. And I think the biggest thing and we've spoken about this before, like a lot of theatres are getting in their own way. They, you know, they stand in their own way of their own progress. So I can only hope, but the real change comes from having people of colour in. In the room. In the room,
0: in the Every building. step of the Every way. way. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that happening in some great new. Young Vic is a fantastic example of it. Of a, of a group that has has people of colour all across the building and the Amida having the youth board is an example of things that need to happen and hopefully we'll see that change um, but you are one of the people making that change with your work and I think it's, it's just about time we talk about these incredible I was lucky enough yesterday to have you send me sort of seven, eight, seven, eight of your, your recent works and I've seen obviously that the stuff that you did for the Roundhouse and um, you, you, you create work that's very close to your heart very close to who you are and your identity, and you're very vocal. And I, just to quote yourself at you about your poetry, <laughs> you say in, in Boys Who Can't Cry, my poems are quite matter of fact. I don't hold back. And later on, you say, my poems aren't used to incite racial or religious tension. My intention is to highlight, mention, and bring our stories to to attention. I think it's a very interesting, I mean, it's a very clear statement of who you are and what you do, but I'd love to you talk about you know, you're writing and this particular idea of you're not using, you're not inciting anything. You're just bringing things to attention. I mean, talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, especially the earlier poems um, was just a way to get things off my chest that I had thought about saying over, I think my three years at uni um, and even, even before that, man, like the way I got into poetry was a bit weird. Um, like I, so I was. I had never written before. I was just an actor. I was really naive, and I used to think that, like, oh, you know, you know, you see those people: who are actor, writer, director, producer, mm. prop maker, you know, tap dancer. <laughs> yeah, very stressful. And I was like, yeah, and I, I had, I used to have the, the thought of like, okay, but like, if you really want to be an actor, stop doing all that other stuff. You're just yeah, yeah. wasting your energy. Um, very naive, but. Uh, Yeah, the poetry stuff came about because I was attending National Student Drama Festival, NSDF, in 2019. Um, I came there, and one of the associates there, a brilliant actor and creative called Nima Talagani, he noticed me, probably because we were one of few brown people in the building, Um, and we had a little chat, and later on that night, he said to me, you know four years ago he got noticed here um, by doing raps at the open mic right and then he turned and said to me i think you should write something and do it i was like okay i've never written before but let's see i kind of dismissed it i went away that night where i was staying and for whatever reason you know just the words that was coming uh, I, I was reading a poetry book at the time so I would call it divine timing call it whatever you want <laughs> um wrote this poem which ended up being call me by my name and then i was like okay cool i've written this i have no idea if it's completely crap or not so i'm going to get a coffee with Nima, spit it to him and if he thinks it's all right i'll do it if not i'll just you know wallow away in self-pity and just discard it and never do it again got this coffee with him the next day and right at the beginning he was like okay cool um halfway through my friend Roy might join us and I was like okay cool yeah Roy just another student that's fine but I'm going to do this poem for you Um, and it turns out that that Roy was uh, Mr Roy Alexander Wise MBE Artistic Director of the Royal Exchange in Manchester I never met Roy and all of a sudden I'm sitting in front of them both got this poem on my phone and I'm shaking and I decided to do it because I have to. And after I finished it, they didn't say anything. They just put their fists out in a sort of, you know, spud moment of mm. respect. And I was like, okay, cool. Cool. Uh, I'm going to do this. Did it in the open mic. And then, yeah, man, been going ever since.
0: So that was I mean, a long tangent, a- but. It's one hell of a story. Um, I don't think most people do their first performance to the, to the, utter of the royal director. <laughs> Thank you. But let's talk about that poem, Call Me call me By My Name. Obviously, a bit of a play, I think, on the on the film. But what's interesting here is, I mean, the, I don't think there's anyone who has a name that is in English they can't relate to. But, you know, Azan, the second A is long, but what's longer is your reluctancy to say my name correctly. And just to speak, I was doing a course about three weeks ago with a, it was a great course. And I was with a producer for, for seven days and that whole time he avoided saying my name. He just oh, that, you know, oh, you you know just wouldn't even mm. say it. And I think what's so interesting, what you say here, the final word in this, this thing is sinister. And there is something sinister about this, reluctance to even call me by, by my own name. I, it's such a strange phenomenon. I think we all, it's, it's such a weird universal thing. Our name is perhaps the closest thing to our identity. And yet so many people who don't have the name John go through their life with people constantly avoiding saying their name. And your name, as you say in your poem, it's, it's... I mean, why don't you talk about that, the importance of your name and why it's almost ironic that that, that people don't say your name. Yeah, man. My, I mean, I just... I don't know. It might be kind of selfish.
1: I just love my name. I think it's hella cool, you know? <laughs> um, I only know one other person with that name. And I, I think I went through a lot of uni and some of school, um, everyone saying Azan. Azan, mm. you know? And... It, I don't know if you have this as well, but sometimes when someone sends me an email, I can re- I can like listen to how they've said my name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, okay, cool. Like I know where I stand with you. Um, yeah, yeah. But I just, I was, just, yeah, tired of it, and that's what I'm saying. This early poetry of mine is, it's reclamation. It's taking back those, those silences that I swallowed. You know, um, because th- that's the thing. White people um, can say. Daenerys Targaryen and Timothy (laughs) Chalamet. (laughs) Yeah, that's That's a good. My name is four four letters, man. Azan. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I get it, Azan. If that comes to you first, but if if I say, "Yo, my name's Azan," and they go, "Oh, cool, thanks, Azan," I'm just like, "What? (laughs) There's something. There's a chip missing in your head."
0: Yeah, yeah. it's it's incredible. I I, it's it's such a strange, it's such a strange reluctance. And you're right. I mean, it's something that so many people. It's sort of. I don't like the phrase, but microaggression that people experience so much. But what people, it is, it's just our name. Like, it's just what we call, I've got a weird name. It's spelt weirdly. If you are, I'd much rather you say it wrong, ask, and then I'll tell you how to say it. I understand that it's not a name that you know or come across. Yeah. But to not even try or to consistently get it wrong after being told, it is just, part of the fact that, yeah, you're right, someone's got something missing there. It's such a bizarre experience to have. One of your other early poems is Faux Woke. And I think this is probably the one I sort of laughed at the most <laughs> but related to the most, because I think anyone who's been at a university, especially in England, relates. I'm going to read the start of it. I don't see colour. We hear this phrase all the time. I don't see colour. Oh, that's nice. But oh, wait, I spy with my big brown eyes. You carefully organise your outfit today. And you go on in, the, in that same stanza to say, so what you mean is you avoid seeing race. And there's this interesting conversation. I'd love you to comment on this, like this new, like, I'm so woke. I don't see colour. But it's it's such a strange phenomenon that seems to have this, this wokeness to it, it's just completely bizarre. I mean, it's no sense.
1: Yeah, it's just, um, yeah, it, it, it troubles me. And you know, the impetus for that poem, I was reminded of it the other day. I remember just once at uni, I was walking somewhere and uh, I was walking with an East Asian woman mm. and I think we were just chatting and then she's chatting about race. Uh, and then she responded with, oh, but, you know, we're all just human, you know, we're all just human, <laughs> aren't we? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, but, but, but where I'm from is, is rich, man. Like, what do you mean? Why are you diluting it? That's, that's what it is. Why are you diluting the rich tapestry of, of moments and, you know, all that stuff that comes from being from where we're from? And I think, the, you know, stuff like FOWO can call me by my name. It's the acknowledgement that I wanted to get across. I, when I was at uni, I spent my first year sort of facilitating weird jokes. I haven't always been, you know, uh, on it with the sort of wokeness or the, the articulating myself and my identity. It's been a journey because I remember in my first year, sorry, my second year, coming back from first year, um, I used to make like weird brown jokes. I was the only brown person in my year for context. Right, okay. Right, and I used to make jokes about terrorists or brown people to make the white people in the room feel like, oh, I'm not one of, I'm not one of them. You know right, what I mean? Right, I see. Yeah, yeah. And then this shift happened where I was coming back, first time I'd seen some of my mates uh, since summer, and my best mate was standing in front of me and I was walking up to the pub and he was like, oh, there's my favourite terrorist. Jesus. Yeah. And I just sort of had this moment inside where I was like, I, I facilitated that. Yeah. And I don't ever want to do that again. So these first poems were just a way of addressing that and being like, no, 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 this is, this is who I am. This, this, these are the things that I want you to know.
0: You say in the same poem, know your history, know that it affects mine and that the two have been intertwined since before 1599. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, such a trend. People don't realise the extent to which how long Britain was in our country. And it wasn't just sort of, trading that was in there sitting living taking over and it's it's so true we've had these conversations about education and how little people know and I think that comes part of that comes from this I don't see people you have to because as you say know your history know that it affects mine you can't not see it because you know for 400 years you certainly didn't not see it And that affects the very way we live our lives today. But you say at the end of the poem, to sort of use your own words again, to to comment on it, the culture present in my bones, body and face is something you could never erase. Yeah, man, it's just, you know, what I'm
1: about right now, and it might change, is just, you know, too long. And we've spoken about this a bit, where South Asians and brown people are seen as that meek and subservient, you know, person. That in in theatre shows, what they are is is the best friend, yeah, you know, yeah. Who's who's just there on stage. He ticks the box and like. But I what I want people to know is that we've been emperors, we've been poets, and we can definitely come steal your girl in the theatre show, and we should.
0: <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, it, it's We're it's interesting. We, We're all these things, and we need to to sort of be given that depth and space. And you certainly can't be given that depth and space if everyone's supposedly colorblind, I mean, bizarre. You you, you write, going to sort of your more recent and and later poems, you've got these wonderful, something I I love, and I think any South Asian will love is uh, your your use of, you know, hullabee haze, pounded onions, and garlic, and these are from where are you really from, pounded onions, and garlic, and chili powder. So many of your poems sort of relate to and speak to such integral things in our food. I mean, any South Asian is obsessed with food. Our grandmothers are obsessed with food. All we do is think about eating. Um, and you draw on these wonderful things, but you also write. I wonder if I can find it. You write in an earlier poem, I remind you that chicken tikka masala was made for the white man's taste. And you've also got this strange, you use these images, but you point out that they've even they're sort of compromised in, in a strange way.
1: Yeah, it's nuance, isn't it? It's all about nuance. Like this, this stuff isn't black and white. Um, it's all, it can't be black and white because we're brown, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. it's all. It's all grey area, and the food thing is that's our sort of legacy. I feel yeah to each other. You know, people pass down recipes, and and we don't really write stuff down. We do it by in order to do it. If we do it by andaza you know, by yeah.
0: feeling. By feeling. That's all that. That's all my grand says when I'm cooking. Just see what feels right. It's salt. I don't know how salt feels, but apparently I should just know. And you do. You end up learning somehow. You end up it learning. It's right.
1: and- <laughs> a Beautiful thing. And I think. In terms of my creative practice and stuff, that's where I want, that's what I'm interested in. I'm, we've had that phase of, and there are people still battling with it, with the whole, I'm Asian, but I don't want to be Asian. I just want to be British. And, and yeah, yeah. it's a massive, you know, massive
0: part, what I'm, part of our culture.
1: Yeah. yeah. But what I'm interested in is is acknowledging what's happened before, you know, and, and taking that with just like these recipes. Like I, I didn't know until 20, nine, 2017 my granddad was a poet and right. like a legit one, like published in Pakistan and everything. And, um, you know, talking stuff like Riz, Riz Ahmed's new film, *Mogul Mowgli, incredible, where, you know, he acknowledges the generational trauma, like going back, looking back at where you've been so that you can catapult yourself forward.
0: That's Me- what I'm sort of interested in. And you, you directly, uh, you know, talk about, I mean, one of your poems is called Paki Split, P A K I but a word that is used, I mean, you're actually Pakistani, I'm into this is a word that's used to describe everyone in the South Asian subcontinent. I mean, there's one and a half billion of us, well over a seventh of the world's population, and yet we're all referred to by this term, but then you subvert this in such a brilliant way because you point out what it is and what that actually means and the strength of, of what that actually means. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was a nice one to get off my chest. I wanted to sort of test myself lyrically. Um, this, some of this work will speak to, to brown people way more than it speaks to white people. It's like I yeah. want, I want, I want you know, people like us and my brothers and cousins and whoever to feel like, oh, like, whoa, like, that, that uplifts me. And then I want other people to be aware of all the things that encompass us.
0: But you also, I mean, you do that. And I, I've been very moved. I spent six, seven hours yesterday sitting with your work and, and reading it and thinking about it. And it's extremely moving to have someone who speaks to, and you have, little, you, you have a phrase in where you read from, which no one who isn't Punjabi, Hindi would understand. Maybe you can translate that for our, for our, for our listeners who don't speak any of languages. But it's incredible to see these snippets of things that you hear as kids that you, I've never hear in Western anything ever
1: but that's the th- so yeah quick translation I think my Urdu is like a good 7 out of 10 at the best <laughs> of times gore ke anke just means like white person's eyes yeah or a white gaze but that's the thing I think I spent you know a certain amount of time being weirded out and embarrassed at some of the things that are made mainly brown you know like Bollywood films I still yeah, find yeah. some of them cringe not they like, are extremely um, cringe but, yeah but you know stuff like the language and stuff. And the color, the colours that we have, you know, in saris, shavarakamis, some of them are shiny. Um, I was embarrassed about that stuff when I was younger, like a young teenager. And it's just about reclamation.
0: You talk about playing, my grandmother wears a sari every day. I see it every day. We wear shavarani's to weddings. We're so surrounded by it. And I think there's, especially my grandmother doesn't speak English. She lives with us in a house, a very traditional Indian setting. And we're surrounded by it all the time. There's always Indian television on in my home. There's always some ridiculously yeah. dramatic hindi, hindi. soap. there's always a sari on there's always a wedding going on. i mean we seem to be married every week of the year someone is <laughs> but it, it's so omnipresent in our lives and yet there's such a disconnect from it it's like a separate sort of secret life i was leading as a kid it was a brown life that i had that was yeah. completely separate from my being british british in school and certainly at a, at a, at a sort of posh university that was very white
1: yeah, and you know, I just feel like it doesn't have to be separate. You know, my the generation from partition, right? So our grandparents' generation, yeah, they so they survived, so that our parents' generation could live, and then you've got people like us who can dream. Yeah, great. So, God, it. like my my, I remember my dad's been telling me stories of on Eid when he used to, he grew up in Stonebridge, um, and when him and his his cousins used to go onto the high street with their shavalka on. it was like a real act of protest they could they could and they did get into fights because of it um but now we can do that and it's all fine so why shouldn't we
0: it's it's yeah it's incredible how quickly i mean partition 70 years ago the biggest forced mass migration killed this is all people yeah it's it's fantastic way of putting it it's bizarre. It's a million people died more, probably. It destroyed two countries and continues to really cause tension on the state, but no one thinks about the fact that, you're right, our grandparents, I might neither were in the, the country, I don't think, but um, on my side, I mean, but um, mm. it completely transformed and continues to transform um, everything that happens between, between our two countries. Partition is something we do not talk enough about. I mean, people barely know about it. Forget about talking about it. Yeah. Um, but you write to sort of um, get to a, get to a, a more recent poem where there's a there's an incredible I feel the constant need to impress your pale pressures got me stressed. And I'd rather not justify my existence just to pacify your insistent curiosity of colonial consequences. And I think mm-hmm. I was re- I remember I sent you an email in full capital letters after yeah. after, after getting this. And I think that sort of is a great way to uh, please talk about it. I read it awfully and your performance of it, please people check your performance of it out. It's much better than the nonsense I just read. But um in pacify and this pressure that we have and this curiosity now that has almost been caused by the movement of let me hear about everything it means to be brown. I mean, to sort of round up, we um what do you Thinking forward now, we've got this incredible space. We've got Madea coming, which we're so excited to work on, work with you on, a production company. You're doing your incredible work. We're reaching out. We're making moves. We're, we're changing things. What do you think about this pressure, this need to impress? Are we, are we still sort of bearing the mantle of it? Is it changing? I and mean, What's your hope? Even if it's not what's going to happen, what's your hope of what we see in the next few years, as we are the young people that join the industry and hopefully shape it? yeah um i hope that
1: we all make the work we want to make on our terms you know and and what i mean by that is yeah like in desdemona you know that whole poem is about essentially a bit of pillow talk with with a white woman who just wanted to know all about islam and stuff and i'm like and i've we've spoken today about you know how much i want to make people aware and stuff but it's like on my terms though that's it I speak about it when I want to speak about it. I'm not here to just sort of give you your brown story. You know, the greatest art sometimes is the most personal. So it's, but it comes from a personal place on their terms. So you look at Michaela Cole and you look at Rami Youssef, who has the series Rami, who won a Golden Globe. Mm-hmm. Those things are deeply personal, but it's constructed from their terms. And that, I think, is what I want to see and I
0: hope people continue to make work like that thank you so much for for talking today you've spoken really honestly and I think that's that's it's not so easy to do I don't think people listening to this maybe necessarily realize that it's not so easy to speak so honestly about these topics and talk about your own complicated identity in such a such a transparent way so we're really grateful for you you being so honest with us sharing so much of your work with us everyone listening please check out Azan all of his socials and everything will be linked to the podcast some of his work will ensure Will be linked obviously. You're going to be able to see his work. Check out his bio page on our website. You'll be able to see his work for Medea coming soon. And yes, yes, this won't be the last we hear of Azan. We'll do another podcast with him, I'm sure, about Medea work. But yeah, keep your eyes on him because I think you're going to go great places. And we're really grateful that you're working with us. And we're so excited to have you on board.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me and facilitating this. And let me get to work on this Medea thing. It is really exciting and I cannot wait
0: for for people to hear it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone listening. Thanks so much for listening. And there will be another episode out soon with another one of our spoken word artists. So do tune in. Thanks so much. Thank you.